0: Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans, by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and this is uh, going to be my review of the Nito ATP World Tour Finals. It is, of course, the end, really, in a lot of ways, of the season. We have Davis Cup, of course, uh, following this, but for all intents and purposes, the season is over. Um, it, uh, it, it it was a crazy, honestly shocking, um, week uh, of tennis. Um, I really don't know how to describe it. I I just it was one of the weirder weeks of tennis, you know, that I've seen in a while. Um, and I'll get into explaining why. But of course, um, we have some news to get to, and then we're going to go over the World Tour Finals. We're going to talk about. Uh, how each player more or less did, who they uh, defeated, who they lost to, how we got to the final, really, and then I'm going to talk about the, the final itself, who won, who lost, and uh, break things down and uh, really, you know, talk about what I feel was ultimately a very good final. But of course, starting out at the news, um. You know, Stefano Sitsipas is the winner of the World Tour finals. He defeated Dominic Team. It's the biggest title that Stefano Sitsipas has won to date. Um, you know you win the World Tour finals it's it's just it's a notch below uh, Grand Slam, right? Uh, Grand Slams are worth 2000 points. This is worth 1500. Masters 1000 of course are worth 1000. Um, so this is just a, a notch or half a notch below winning a Grand Slam, so it's a big deal. Of course, and it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. One, it's uh, the World Tour Finals. Two, the top eight players in the world qualify for this. So, you know, it's um, it's a tournament where you have to play the best of the best. So, navigating that, winning. In the end, it's not easy. Um, it might seem easy based on how many times that Roger and Novak have won this, but it is very difficult. So, you know, looking at the, the winner, uh, Sitsipas, it's a great honor for him. It is He's 21 years old. He obviously has a, a, a bright future. Uh, we've had two players now you know well under the age of 25 win back to back years last year it was alexander zverev this year Stefano tsitsipas and i think where uh, while we can look at the grand slams and we can lament about the fact that these younger players they're not showing up they're not uh, they're not getting to the final it's um <clears throat> it nevertheless is a good sign okay that these players are making the the end of the year finals championship. They are finding a way not only to play well, but actually win it. So, uh, but again, we're going to get into talking about Sissi pass and Dominic Team and everybody else. But uh, there is other news to get to before we do just that. So, starting out with Rafa at all, because this um this tournament was huge. Obviously, for a number of reasons. Everybody wants to win. Everybody that has uh, found a way to get in, they all have equal opportunity, you know, to win in the end. Uh, But there was more than just, you know, glory at the end of all this for Nadal. Um, The world, you know, year-end number one ranking was at stake. Uh, He had Novak, you know, breathing down his neck because – Uh, Novak had won the Paris Masters. Um, by winning that, he was, was right behind Rafa. Uh, and the winner, well, not the winner of the World Tour Finals, but, um, the results in the World Tour Finals were going to play the biggest role, of course, at that point in who was going to be the world number one at the end of the year. I'm given how close things were. Uh, There was a good chance, though, that the winner of the tournament was going to be the one that was world number one. Uh, It didn't go that way. Um, uh, Novak suffered uh, some losses, uh, which we'll get to. Uh, Nadal, in uh, having both watched Novak lose, also found a way to win himself and doing basically just enough – to secure the year-end number one ranking. Now we can argue over, you know, who deserved it. Did did Novak deserve it more? Did Rafa deserve it more? Each player won two Grand Slams. Each player won, you know, Masters one thousand titles, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, uh, Nadal was able to do just enough to secure that uh, year-end number one ranking. So, uh, you know, congratulations to Rafa. Um. L- well, okay. Beyond the fact that Nadal, you know, won this, uh, we also had another announcement in the past week. Bob and Mike Bryan, aka the Bryan Brothers, have announced that they will be retiring after the 2020 U.S. Open. And uh, I'm not totally surprised by this. Obviously, the Bryan Brothers are in their 40s now. They've been playing this uh, this game for for decades. Uh, they are without a doubt the greatest doubles team of all time um, I, I don't know if you can really honestly argue that you could get into an argument about the fact that the the doubles game maybe doesn't have quite the level of you know prolific uh, players uh, I I personally don't subscribe to that I'm just saying that I've, I've seen this argument out there Um. Certainly the top players in the singles game don't play doubles like they did, you know, say back in the – say prior to the 90s, you know, back when, you know, you had uh, McEnroe and Connors and other players who who played doubles a lot more often. You had a lot of excellent doubles players that were also going to have, you know, good singles careers as well. But, you know, setting that aside, there are some – Unbelievable doubles teams, you know, playing today um, and, and over the last, you know, 10, 15 years when the Bryan brothers were the best in the world. Uh, so this is going to be interesting. They've they've got about, you know, what, uh, 10 months or so uh, left to play on Thor. So they're going to try obviously to make the next 10 months the very best that they can make it given the fact that they will be done after the 2020 US Open. Uh, Next up on the retirement announcements is Tomas Burdick, who has retired from tennis at age 34. And uh, Burdick is uh, an interesting player. He is a very, very good player. He posted a 640 and 342 record, which is a 65.2 winning percentage. He made 13 career titles, made the semifinals were better at every Grand Slam. That included making the finals of the Wimbledon in 2010, in which he lost to Nadal in the final. But on the way, he knocked out both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. So that's a huge accomplishment, honestly, right there. Uh, he has been a top 10 player for much of the last decade. It wasn't consistently in the top 10 all the time. But he did, you know, force, you know, stretches, uh, multiple years. He, he was, you know, number one, I think, um, I want to say it was like 2013 through like 2016. I want to say he was, he was number one in the world pretty much constantly. Um, and before that, he was in and out of being in the top 10. Uh, but if he wasn't in the top 10, he was usually in the top 20 or even the top 15. So basically what I'm saying is is this is a guy who was extremely consistent uh, for much of the last 10 to 12 years. Um, He is a player that had a lot of strengths and he had a lot of weaknesses. Strengths were uh, his serve. Uh, He had big, flat, penetrating forehand, um, huge forehand. Uh, His weaknesses, however, were his backhand, which – while not a major weakness was probably average, you know, maybe slightly above average uh, if he was really hitting it well. That being said, even though his backhand was a weakness, I think he was one of the best pure ball strikers on tour throughout his career. He hit very cleanly. Um, he was just, he was a player that had excellent hand eye coordination. The problem was, his movement. Uh, Thomas Burdick had a real issue with movement in part because he was so huge and muscular. Uh, this is, look at his legs. They were tree trunks and he carried so much weight, even not on his legs, just in his body. I mean, he was huge. Uh, and that was a problem. And I, I wonder looking back if, if he'd have found a way, some, some way to slim down to maybe get to more of a, um, Kevin Anderson kind of physique where, you know, very well-defined but, you know, shredding off some of that muscle, that excess muscle in order to make moving around a lot better for him. I mean, he he would often find himself in a lot of trouble against uh, defensive players, top players, uh, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Murray. Uh, Players that could get a lot of those balls back, even as big as his strokes were, his ground strokes, they could get the balls back. Um, He just couldn't out-hit them all the time. And their defensive abilities hurt him, especially when it came to movement. Uh, Whether it was coming into the net, moving, you know, uh, either, well, it doesn't really matter. Moving laterally, um, moving side to side, it really didn't matter. Uh, movement was a problem, and I think that ultimately was the biggest thing that hurt him. Aside from the lack of belief, which I think is another part of the problem with with uh, Burdick. he developed a lot of scar tissue over his career, um, especially in the last you know five to seven years. He he would often get to you know the quarters, uh, the semifinals, a lot of big tournaments end up having to face an Adal or a Djokovic or a Federer or a Murray just to to watch himself lose, um, sometimes tamely. Because you could tell when he went out on court, he did not believe that he was going to win. And uh, that lack of belief in that buildup of scar tissue ultimately are the things I think that that did him in. That being said, Tomas Burdick is a player that you should have an immense amount of respect for. He was – An incredibly talented player. As I said before, an incredible ball striker. And were it not for the era that he played in, I honestly believe that if, say, if Burdick had played in the 90s, there's a good chance we would be talking about this player in a different light. This is a player that could have won multiple Grand Slams. And I believe that. Uh, Unfortunately, he just, he played in an era Dominated by three four of the greatest players of all time, but three players who may probably well may go down and will probably go down as the three best players of all time, at least upon their retirement. So it's just bad luck to be in this era in a lot of ways for Tomas Burdick. But he is a great player. All right. So, let's move on to the WTA side because we also have yet another retirement announcement. So, on the women's side, we have Dominika Sibokova who announced her retirement at age 30. Um, Her height was only 5'3", but that being said, she did have and utilized a lot of great weapons. She had eight WTA titles, two ITF titles. Her biggest title was the 2016 WTA Tour Finals in Singapore. Now, in terms of her strengths, she had great defense. She was quick, super quick around the court, Um, low center of gravity. That being said, despite her small stature, she had a lot of power, a lot of pop. Um, She hit an an incredibly flat ball and she was strong mentally very, very high energy player. Always dancing around, bopping around, uh, constantly be you know, showing her opponents that she was ready for the next ball. She loved the play. She was incredible um at the net. She when she come in when she came into the net, she was small, but she was quick. She uh she's able to hit good um drop volleys <clears throat> and uh you know, she was the kind of player that I think a lot of female players, a lot of any, you know, male players, doesn't really matter, male, male female, you should really watch her play, watch her body language. She was often referred to as the, the female Rafa because of the positivity that she exuded. Um, she was always ready, super aggressive, um, very, um, uh, very. Uh, competitive. Uh, that being said, um, she did have weaknesses and those were uh, a weak serve overall. Obviously, at 5'3", she wasn't going to hit a lot of aces. Um, so she had to hit a clean ball, be consistent from the baseline, be aggressive, win the rallies. Uh, she could get overpowered against aggressive opponents. Uh, players that uh, – were long-limbed, that could get to a lot of her balls, uh, that had big serves, um, that could simply (laughs) out-hit her. And you know the fact is, even though she had a lot of pop on her shots, um, when she went up against someone like, say, Serena, um, uh, Garbino Muguruza, uh, players like that, players that had a ton of power, she could get out-hit. She also dealt with uh, Achilles issues, uh, I forgot to mention with Burdick, um, he suffered a back injury a couple of years ago and and that's uh, a lot of the reason why he ended up retiring because uh, the injuries basically just mounted up for him. And that's really what happened with Cibulkova as well. She had an Achilles injury. She came back in the 2016 season. She was able to win the, the World Tour finals while well, the WTA finals in Singapore. But again, she just couldn't maintain – you know, a, a healthy body. I mean, at some point, the body just said, no, I, I can't do this anymore. And and that, I think, is ultimately what led her to retire. The mind was willing, the spirit was competitive, ready to go, but the body just said, I can't do this anymore. And um, that's that. And look, <clears throat> Siebelkova is a player that I respect because of that competitive spirit. She respected her opponent, but she never showed too much respect, meaning she she wasn't afraid of them. And uh, that lack of fear is one of the reasons why, at her height, she was able to be as competitive and attain a top 10 ranking and gain the respect of her peers. Um, I don't think there's a single player... In the locker room, that probably didn't respect Dominika Sibokova and they should, and you should, because she was an excellent player for a number of years, and uh, she learned that she could stand toe to toe with the biggest hitters, and you know, give them some of their own medicine. And I think because of that, she she garnered a lot of respect. All right. So let's move on to set two. And this is going to be our ATP Night Nito, uh, World Tour Finals review. We had two groups in the finals. We had Group Andre Agassi and we had Group Bjorn Borg. So in Group Andre Agassi, that was Rafa Nadal, Danil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Alexander Zverev. In Group Bjorn Borg, it was Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Dominic Team, Matteo Berrettini. Yeah, I got Berrettini's name right, okay? (laughs) Um, So how did everybody fare this past week? Well, if you look at number one on the list here, at least in Group Andre Agassi, the first on the list was Rafa Nadal. He didn't start out all that well. In fact, he started out about as poorly as you could start. He went up against Alexander Zverev and he looked – well, honestly, he looked terrible out there. Zverev was playing well, but Nadal looked awful. He later said that he just felt every ball he hit was going out. Um, he looked like a player that hadn't played much tennis and – or was dealing with, with an injury issue. We know that he had a pectoral issue uh, leading up to the tournament. He said he was fine, said he was healthy, fine. Then, he, you know, if he said that, then, you know, maybe he was. But he did look a bit rusty out there. That being said, Zverev played extremely well. And so he was able to take Rafa down in straight sets very, very quickly. Then uh, Rafa Nadal went up against um, Danil Medvedev. He was down 5-1 in the third set. And it was match point. Nadal ended up hitting a drop volley <clears throat> hit the net. And uh, Medvedev could not get to it, and from that point on, it was a combination of an adult playing free and Medvedev making more errors in that third set than he probably did through the through the um, the two sets prior. I'm not saying he did; I'm just saying it felt like that um, because he would hit some good shots, you know, wins, you know, hit some winners, but then he would turn around and he would make weird, unforced errors. That it's like where where was this coming from? And ultimately, all came back and he won that match. And it was uh, obviously a huge win. He called himself lucky. He said it was about a one in a thousand shot that he would have come back, being down 5-1 in the final set. And especially coming down from match point, coming back from match point. So uh, that was a win for him, a huge win. Um, and then he went on and defeated city pass in uh, three sets as well. Um. In defeating Medvedev and with Djokovic ended up you know he ended up losing to, to Roger, that's what gave Rafa the year end number one ranking. All right, so moving on to Danil Medvedev. All right, so Medvedev, of course, um he came in and I thought he was gonna have a shot to really win this thing. And of course he did have a shot, but he didn't have a very great World tour finals. He lost to Sitsipas, he lost to Nadal, and then ultimately at the end, he also lost to Alexander Zverev. Novak Medvedev, I think he, I hate to say this, but I think he hit the emotional and physical wall. You know, all those consecutive tournaments, tournament after tournament after tournament, that's going to take something out of you physically and mentally. It will happen. You are going to hit that exhaustion point. And I, I just, I feel like he hit that about a week or two ago. And, and he kind of has been running on fumes since. That's just my opinion. And I know he was, you know, 5-1 against the doll. I understand that. But I do feel like Medvedev, even despite that, was, was running on fumes over the last couple of weeks. So he did lose all of his matches. Moving on to Sissipas, he defeated Medvedev, and he defeated uh, Alexander Zverev as well as Roger Federer. Of course, he lost to Nadal. And the win over Federer was huge. That was uh, in the, I guess, basically the semifinals to see who would make it into the final. Uh, it was a it was a big win for him. Obviously, it was a straight sets victory. Um, Roger did did not look great. Honestly, in that match, Zverev was playing very well. Uh, but, but Roger looked tentative. His forehand was off. His serve was off as well. He, he just wasn't playing very crisp tennis. He was getting, uh, beat in the long rallies, uh, most of the day and most of the match. So, uh, but it was a big win for, for Sitsipas, obviously. He's defeated, uh, Roger before, notably in the Australian Open, um, quarterfinal so let's uh, move on to Alexander Zverev he defeated Nadal right out of the gates he also defeated Medvedev as well that was Medvedev's uh, final loss and then he lost to uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas so uh, but this was enough to get Zverev into the semis so Group Grupo Bjorg uh, Novak Djokovic Starting out here, he defeated uh, Matteo Berrettini, and then he lost to Dominic Team in the next match. Uh, Team played very, very well; Uh, just exceptional tennis from Dominic Team in this match against Novak. Uh, And then uh, Dominic Team ended up defeating Roger as well, so defeating both Djokovic and Federer. That you know is huge. You know, back to it, back, that's that's massive. Uh, Roger Federer is up next. Uh, he defeated Matteo Berrettini. He uh, he ended up defeating Novak Djokovic as well, and he lost to Dominic Thiem and Stefano Sintipas. The win over Novak was was that was the best match Rogers played in a while. Um. It's the best match he's played against Novak in a long time. Um, I, I mean, and I, I hesitate to say that. Maybe I'm not even right on that. Obviously, the Wimbledon final this year was an epic, you know, all time classic. Um, but, but Roger was aggressive here. He, he took it to Novak. He had the correct strategy out there. He had great point construction, a combination of great point construction and aggression. He came into the net as often as he could, um, finishing balls off at the net all the time, uh, keeping Novak on the defensive. Novak didn't look confident out there. He looked uh, honestly unsure of himself on, this, on the strategies and the shots he was hitting. And that was in part, or at least mostly due, I believe, to Roger and how well he was playing. It was a straight sets victory for um, Roger as well. And next up is Dominic Team, who defeated Federer um, and defeated Djokovic, but lost to lost to Matteo Berrettini, which was interesting. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Berrettini lost was in straight sets. So, and I know Berrettini's got a big serve and, and big weapons, but uh, I was a little surprised. I remember when I saw that uh, Dominic lost that match. And finally, Matteo Berrettini, who defeated Dominic Team, but lost to Djokovic and lost to Federer. So in the semifinals, Stefano Tsitsipas, as I mentioned, defeated Roger Federer, 6-4, 6-3, straight sets victory. Uh, Dominic Team defeated Alexander Zverev in straight sets as well, 7-5, 6-3. And that gave us the final of uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Dominic Team. Uh, A battle between two uh, next-gen players, kind of, you know, I guess Sonic Team really isn't. He's, what, 26 now? Um, But he's definitely in that younger generation that's looking to take over from the current all-time greats, still kind of dominating the the tour. And uh, this was a fantastic match, folks. It was a really, really fantastic match. So the first set came to a tiebreaker. And here I was, I was watching it. I really felt that both players had their opportunities in the first set, uh, break point chances, but ultimately, they did what they needed to do to get to a tiebreaker. And Tsitsipas, honestly, he kind of shot himself in the foot, if I'm being honest here. Uh, he He made some unforced errors. In the tiebreaker, that I just didn't expect uh, to see from him, given the the situation. Uh, whereas Dominic team, honestly, uh, he played he played very well. Uh, he made a couple of unforced errors himself, but you know he was able to uh, get across that finish line and win the first set. But the second set is where Cipaz started to really dominate. He got more aggressive, hitting harder shots, um, pushing uh, Dominic Team to his backhand side as often as he could, keeping him onto the defensive, and finishing a lot of balls off at the net. Uh, So he won the second set 6-2. And in the final set is a 7-6 tiebreaker uh, going to Sitsipas. And uh, whereas the first tiebreaker saw Sitsipas. Make a little some weird unforced errors. It was Dominic Team that made some unfortunate unforced errors at the worst times. So if you look at the stats here for this match, Matt as a whole, aces were pretty close. Boss had nine. Dominic Team had eight. Dominic Team had three unforced errors. I'm sorry, three double faults. Boss uh, had none. Uh, First serve percentage was 61% for Sitsipas, 68% for Dominic Team. First serve points won uh, 50 of 60 for Sitsipas for 83%, 52 of 73 for Dominic Team for 71%. Second serve points won 23 of 37, which was 62% for Sitsipas, 17 of 33 for 51% for Dominic Team. Break points saved, um, Sitsipas saved three of four Dominic team saved seven of 10. So obviously, uh, Sitsipas had more opportunities. He just wasn't able to convert on those, especially that first set when he could have uh broken Dominic team. And this could have, could have been a straight sets of victory. Um, ultimately what this came down to was, uh, Sitsipas finding a way to just win more of his first serve points. As the match went along, he got stronger. Sitsipas held his serve easier, and Dominic team found it more and more difficult to hold his serve. Seventy-one percent serve uh, first serve points won. That's not bad. It's not a bad stat, but eighty-three percent is twelve percent higher. That's a big margin right there. Okay, doesn't seem like it, but it is. Same for the second serve points. 62 to 51. That's some. Um, that's just you're not gonna get over that hurdle, okay? Uh, because that's 12 percent uh, higher for Sitsipas on the first serve, and 11 percent higher on the second serve in points one. And that really comes down to uh, <clears throat> the margins, and the margins are really where it matters. Now, that second set 6-2 that that helps Poss, I think, because he did. Kind of ran, ran away with that set. But the first and the third set were tiebreaker sets. Very tight. Very close. Um, ultimately, Tsitsipas won um, <clears throat> 73 of 97 uh, points. one And uh, Dominic team 69 of 106. So sixty plus won 75% of his points, whereas uh Dominic team won 65. Again, 10% margin of victory. Right there. That extra, that extra roughly 10% is the reason why Sitsipas won this match. But ultimately, um, <clears throat> this was a great battle between two young players. Uh, we know that Sitsipas is knocking on the door. He's poised to be possibly that next great, you know, young number one player that could dominate tennis, win multiple Grand Slam titles. Um, He's still on the Ascension, but you know what? He's 21 years old. He's got time on his side. And with the older generation, with the Jokovics and the Nadals and the Fedders, um, Murray maybe, um, you know, kind of, you know, getting to the end of their careers as well as like a Stan Marenka, it's – the end is coming, okay? It just is. And uh, at some point, I think in the next – Two years, um, you're going to see, I think, the older generation quietly, you know, begin to, uh, you know, leave the game. So as I look at, you know, these players that exist in our sport now, the young players, the young generation, um, it, it's a bright one. You know, we lamented about the fact that it didn't seem like there was – Anybody coming up through the game, you know, two three years ago, uh, Zverev burst on the scene, of course, um, which was like a bright light there. But there just wasn't anybody who was really making themselves well known. Uh, you know, you heard about Sitsipas within the tennis world generally. You could, oh, there's this young guy coming up; he's got a lot of talent. Well, great, wonderful. There's a lot of, you know, talented players that get talked about that come up and flame out. They don't. They don't end up doing anything. Um, So, you know, talent doesn't mean everything. It's as much about the competitive spirit and the desire as it is about anything else. Uh, Take a look at David Ferrer. Talented tennis player? Yes. Um, Did he have big weapons? No. But his competitive spirit, his desire, his fight, everything, I mean, that's why David Ferrer ended up being the kind of player that he became and was. For almost his entire career, he was – You know, as they call him, the little bulldog, you know? And that's the kind of player that, you know, people should study and aspire to be. Don't just aspire to be the Roger Fetters and the Dolls and the Djokovics. Um, Look at some of these other players that don't maybe necessarily have all of the talent or all of the weapons. And someone like, you know, uh, David Ferrer, he didn't have the height and the, the big forehand and the big backhand but he fought and he scraped and he clawed his way for every victory. So anyway, you know, I look at the young players and I see the Sitsipasas and the Zverevs, and I see the Dominic teams and the Medvedevs and it's led me to realize that the future of tennis is bright. The future of men's tennis is bright because just in this group that I'm talking about, these four players, these are four players that will play each other for the next 8, 10 years or more. Um, a lot of battles are going to be fought between these players. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But for now, Stefano Tsitsipas is the winner of the Nido ATP, <clears throat> ATP World Tour Finals. Uh, excuse me. He has um, a bright future, obviously. We hope to see more of these victories moving forward. All right, everybody that's it for this episode of the podcast thanks for listening to me rainbow on about tennis for a bit uh, and give you guys my thoughts and opinions on the the finals that we just witnessed um and you know the announced retirements that we've just you know heard in the last few days uh, from Burdick and from Cibulkova, and uh, obviously from the Bryan brothers who will be retiring next year towards the end of the year. So that's it for me. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. If you'd like to send in some feedback, you can go to uh, my contact form on freakinggeeks.com. Uh, you can also send in feedback by sending it to my email, by sending it to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also contact me on Twitter uh, by sending me a tweet at at tennisaddictpod. So let me know what you think. You can send me messages on there. You can talk to me on there about tennis. Uh, and let me know what you think. You know, give me your opinion. Uh, how well did you think Citipas played? Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, whoever. What do you think about the retirements of Tomas Burdick and Dominika Sawokova? Uh, what do you think about the announced retirements of the Brown brothers? Let me know. Contact me in one way or another, uh, via either Twitter or email. Um, just let me know what you think. I like to engage in a conversation with you guys. That's part of the fun of all this. So until next time, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully you continue listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lannick or at Freak Geeks.